Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I'm Clark Coffey, and with me today is Cullen McFader. What's up, Cullen? Not much. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man, as usual. I mean, well, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Like, as, I think I usually am doing pretty awesome. I mean, hey, like anybody else. Around. It's like anybody else. I got my ups <laughs> and downs. But hey, whenever I'm doing the, this podcast, I'm like usually in a pretty good mood. So <laughs> it's a nice break from the bleak, mundane, the you know, bleak existential mundane. life. Hey, are, are you pulling like a, a Herzog now? Well, yeah, we've got to keep we've connecting <laughs> to our roots. Keep, we've got to keep to our roots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, so we, we hope then that uh, here in our episode number 37, where we're going to be discussing uh, Bong Joon-ho's 2003 film, Memories of Murder, which was selected by Cullen, we mm -hmm. hope that we can provide for you a little bit of a, a break from the mundane and the, the existentially, you know, just uh, the suffering that we experience in our life. Hopefully this will be a little ray of sunlight. <laughs> uh -huh. I hope so. Yeah, exactly. Oh my That's God. our goal. That's our goal. That's our goal. So, uh, I, the, dude, let's just jump right in. This yeah. is a film that you uh, selected, and mm -hmm. it's actually a film that I had not seen previously. So I, it's always fun for me to be exposed to new films. I mean, I had heard of it, of course, you know, especially with Bong's um, Parasite, which was, you know, huge, huge, huge film. Of course, I was aware of yeah, this film Oscar at that wins point. And, yeah. Absolutely. And this film, of course, was was just one of the biggest films to come out of Korea. It was a huge film in South Korea. Yeah. And of course, now it has been, you know, accepted the world round. Uh, but I hadn't seen it yet. Uh, yes, it's true. There are actually some films that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. So so it was a even though you're a huge collection. Even though, yeah, well, hey, it, I, I, yeah, <laughs> well, it's funny. I do have a pretty large physical collection of, yeah. of media. And Honestly, I could probably go go in there. I'm going to guess that I probably actually haven't seen maybe a third of my own films. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> one of these days, that's my goal, though. You know, I try to see at least a couple a week. But but then, of course, they keep releasing new films. So what am I to do? <laughs> Just put a hold on it all. Just put until, a hold until on it We all. get it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this movie is, I mean, it's, it's funny about this movie is that it's kind of um, lauded by a lot of western filmmakers like i know tarantino says it's one of his favorites guillermo del toro really loves it um, yep you know there's a lot of uh and and fincher specifically you know pulled a lot from this movie when he was doing zodiac in fact this movie was a direct inspiration for the way that and he you can see zodiac. it yeah um and i first saw this movie in i think 2016 um so, so before quite a, his quite a parasite you know stuff i i i hadn't i knew of him and I knew of the movie, um, mm -hmm. but not really any details. Didn't really know what it was about. Um, had never seen any of his movies before, um, uh, like The Host or anything like that. I hadn't seen it. And I think this would have been before... When was Snowpiercer? I think Snowpiercer was 2017? 20... Uh, oh, no, know, 2013. Yeah. Recently. Okay, never mind. That's way earlier than I thought. No, it's um, yeah, 2013. Seen, yeah. yeah. So I've I had seen not that. seen Snowpiercer. Um, yep. I have now, but I, I hadn't then. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I mean, the reason that I watched it was because, again, um, I think a few friends and I had just seen Zodiac at TIFF um, mm -hmm. at the, not the festival, but the, you know, the Toronto International Film Festival has a building where they show movies year round. And usually they're right. specialty movies. So they're not just like new releases. They're some of them are new releases, but usually if they're new releases, they're indie films or they'll show kind of like old famous movies on film and stuff like that. So yeah, great theater if you're in the Toronto yeah. area. But um, but the they showed uh, Zodiac and we wasn't the first time I'd seen Zodiac, but we, you know, it was a movie that I like. And, and so we went to see that. And afterwards, I think me and two of my friends just kind of decided to go back to my place. And one of my friends sort of mentioned, like, maybe we should just watch Memories of Murder because that's the movie that Fincher really Inspired, kind of yeah. pulled from for... So we watched it, and um, yeah, I loved it. I was like hooked instantly. I, I really liked the tone of it, and the um, again, we kind of discussed this in the Butch Cassidy episode. How I really like in Butch Cassidy how there's this like juxtaposition of comedy with like the more serious subject matter, and how yeah. like, the scenes that are serious are serious, and there's the, but there's still like moments of lighthearted, you know kind of comedy yeah and i really sure. like how that movie handles it and i remember being very reminded of that in this movie that it's you know this movie's very if you haven't seen it 
not what you would expect from like a crime thriller like it's not like a seven or you know even like oh, a, it's very different very than much zodiac not. tonally yeah um in that there's like a lot of like almost like slapstick humor <laughs> which um, i was very surprised physical at. comedy and like even the performances are like these really heightened comedic sort of almost like uh like dopey roles and like yeah. that main characters are sort almost of a little three stooges going on yeah and so it's really not what you'd expect and not when i first saw it what i expected at all um and i'm sure you had a similar experience but i well, yeah. again i just thought that it was it was really to me really refreshing like it was a really unique take on this kind of genre that i'd never seen before and i really liked it yeah well it it's so it's interesting that you know you bring that up it was certainly one of the first things that um that I kind of honed in on in my viewing. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I mean, we open up and it you can see right away that this film was painstakingly shot. It's its beautiful, uh, you know, it's kind of bookended with these really vibrant, beautiful skies and golden fields. Yeah. And right. And so that jumps out at you right away. So, I mean, immediately it's like, OK, you know, somebody knew what they were doing behind the camera here. So that obviously you know, uh, hits me immediately. But uh-huh. then, but then just minutes later, uh, when, you know, we're exposed to the comedy of it and, you know, right off the bat in the first scene, um, we've got the little boy who is, um, mocking Song Kang Ho's character. Literally perched atop the dead body too. Literally like right perched, above the dead body. Yeah. <laughs> literally perched above the dead body. And, and he's mocking, you know, kind of parroting, doing that, like, you know, uh, that thing that, that none of us love to have done to us. And yeah. um, and so we see right off the bat, OK, here's a hint of the humor that's that's likely to come. And it does. And it was very it's a very physical comedy often. Um, I mean, I, I and, and some of it, I have to say. So I will readily admit my exposure to Korean film is not substantial. And I didn't have a lot of understanding of you know the, the time period that this film takes place in what was happening in korea uh politically culturally mm-hmm. film starts in 1986 starts in night yes yeah. it's in 1986 and so this is a really important time for korea uh for its history and um and also you know i didn't know anything about the the true life real story which this is not based on literally but it kind of mm-hmm. has to do with something that actually happened which was mm-hmm. you know korea's first known serial killer and the it's like an the, embellished version of that story almost right yeah. it's a fictionalized telling of that but it but it's very much a real thing and if you lived in korea if you grew up in korea then you would know about this I'm, I'm i would imagine in the same way that if you grew up in the united states uh you would know who ted bundy was for example mm-hmm. so i didn't have any this this cultural background i didn't have any of this historical background to bring with me into the film so uh so unfortunately, I, I was kind of always a little bit worried that I was missing nuance, that I was mm-hmm. missing subtleties in the storytelling. And and that's likely just on me. And I should have just let go of that and just gone with it. But one of the things, you know, it, the tone was an interesting thing to me. N- not that I don't, I, I absolutely appreciate humor and I appreciate the juxtaposition of humor, even slapstick humor. I mean, matter of fact, I think it often works best when it's kind of packaged in a serious container if that makes Mm -hmm. sense right i mean it's extremely well done it's extremely well shot there are definitely serious aspects to the film there's no question there there are very serious dramatic um things happening here but i was yet i was kind of questioning in myself i was like okay am i missing something culturally am i you know am i is this is this what the director wanted me to experience? So there was well, And it's little... interesting because it's not necessarily comic relief. Like, it's not like no. there's, like, a character that's, like... It's right. it's just... It's, like, interwoven not... through the whole movie. And one of the right, reasons right. that I wanted to bring up the idea that it's, like, right from the get-go of this kid, again, being perched atop... Yeah, it's, the, it's from like the beginning. On, you know, above the dead body, is that it's... it's it To me, I mean, what it thematically highlights, at least in my interpretation of it, is just the, like... The fact that none of the police in the movie were taking any of this seriously until, and you almost get this exact tonal switch Mm -hmm. when they start to take it seriously, the comedy is really stripped out of the movie. 
you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's almost like no comedy in, I would say, the last third of the movie, because at that point, suddenly mm. there's this like realization of how serious what's going on is. And so that's at least my interpretation of it. And, and it, yeah. of course, it, it, it works for some people. It doesn't work for some. I, and I can totally understand why, um, like, it wouldn't work for some people at all, because it is very, very different than anything that you would probably see, especially well, in like a, a, an American or even a Western movie. Yeah. Just the way that there's just comedy infused in these really, really dark, like seemingly dark subject matter. There's, But it's it's played almost for laughs, which is a really interesting choice. Well, and it may have more to do with, with the director's, uh, you know, kind of uh, with a director's personality. With Jun Ho as a director, as an artist, maybe more than it does culturally. But, and again, I think this is just me kind of being the ancient, uh, anxious, neurotic person I am. I'm always kind of like, what am I missing? What am I missing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, but no, but it didn't mean that I didn't enjoy the film, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just kind of one of those things where I, you know, instead of like fully letting go and going along for the ride, I was kind of questioning a little bit. Like, for example, one of the things that really jumped out to me um were the were the drop kicks so the jump yes, kicks you yes. know and it's and and they're hysterical to my mind but they're played so straight you know it's like yeah. i think the first kick occurs in the film where we've got the introduction of this this new officer that's come in from seoul to help uh help this local department solve things mm-hmm. and he's following a woman now we don't know who he is yet and the the detective that were um familiar with doesn't know so i think there's like a misunderstanding the woman thinks that she's about to be victimized when she's not yeah and and uh so we've got this other police officer drive by stop uh assess the situation he thinks that this woman is in peril so he like runs out of the car and just like jumps into this ditch with like this yeah. full-on like yeah. like t- two-leg jump drop kick you know just and actually like, like it was a real thing in the movie that was a yeah. stunt that they did for the movie and, yeah. and 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 you know and again it's like and i'm sitting there and i'm like okay well this is funny to me like this is yeah. funny to me but i don't know that it's supposed to be funny um but you know but whatever i mean and there's like a, a but matter of fact i think if you go on youtube and you google like memories of murder drop kicks, there's just there's yeah like... well and that's what's funny is that it <laughs> it happens then and then it just keeps happening it just keeps going and yeah, it's just... and it's like i remember watching it with my friends and we were like we thought it was hysterical because it was just it's just this such it a is. bizarre thing but it, it's and it's like this weird almost like a motif throughout the movie if he's like is. running it, it jump totally kicks. is and and you know again for me it's just you know I, I i'm like well wait a minute is this you know is this kind of a cultural thing is this how uh many films um uh you know how, how action is portrayed in korean films you know because you wouldn't have that of course in a western film you mm-hmm. imagine a western you know uh police procedural or you know like serial murder detective film you know, you, you'd never have a character like just run into a room and dropkick somebody, you know? Yeah, it, and again, it, to me, it's it's really interesting way of show. Like, again, my interpretation of even specifically the jump kicks is because later on in the film, of course, one of the characters is, which is kind of the turn of where it gets less comedic, is one of the characters. The character who does the most jump kicks yeah. loses his leg to tetanus because he gets, yeah. uh, like, in a fight. And, Very and symbolic, goes yeah. His, and so to me, that's almost just like this... There's this make-believe play element with the whole, you know, again, first thirds of the first two thirds of the movie, where the cops aren't taking anything really seriously. They're kind of just like Way playing detective, death. and they're just yeah. like, hey, you know, we're gonna bring in these guys, and we know that they're not the the perpetrators of the crimes, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna book them for it anyway. Well, they, and yeah. so then, and they're just really like they're almost like playing pretend police. And then it's the moment when, of course, our character gets the tetanus in his leg and has to get it removed that, it, again, it's it's this scene, probably three scenes in a row where things just get very, very serious. Yeah. And the movie remains thus, you know, henceforth very serious and very, a lot more somber in tone. Well, I think, um, yeah, and, and those moments are handled really wonderfully. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, to me, it's like, okay, so I may be a little confused about some tonal things here, and that may be a little unfamiliar to me, but... I mean, there was no question throughout the entire film that I'm in the hands of a very competent director mm-hmm. who is making very specific decisions and, and choices. And his second feature, too. Only yeah, his second and feature. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, that, so I want to make it clear. It was never that I thought, ah, uh, um, I'm, I'm kind of maybe confused about the style because I think the director was confused about the style. Now, that's a whole different thing. I definitely mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. not feel that in this film. I think, again, for me, it was just... I was kind of wondering, 
am I missing some things culturally? Yeah, yeah. And is that why? But yeah, no, the moment that you describe, and we can kind of get that to get to that a little later, is actually really quite amazing when, you know, mm-hmm. Kang Ho's character has to actually sign off on the amputation of this leg yeah. because this other officer who's, like you say, he got hit in the leg with like a rusty nail and a plank. He doesn't even have any family uh, no. there. No. So, it, I mean, it ties in a lot of really beautiful things. And his things. whole, at this point, his whole character's thing is just like being very physically violent. And so it's this, it's again, it's basically... And he loses the, that. In the amputation, you're, you're losing the whole character. And um, what's funny too, before we get into like the, necessarily the details of the movie too, I, I also just want to talk briefly about... What's, you know, a little bit more of my connection with this movie is that yeah, um, yeah. the first feature I ever wrote was really heavily inspired by this um, to the point that I, so just a little bit of, I guess, yeah, context on that. I, yeah. I was always really interested in, like, I, I'm a big fan of crime films and stuff like that. that <laughs> I'm was, a big that was fan literally of crime. the reason that yeah, crime generally. <laughs> I thought, but, I thought uh, you were going to say, I'm a big fan yeah, you know, of crime. I'm pro crime. I'm pro crime. Guy. I love crime. Um, but I, that's, you know, one of the reasons I went to school for criminology was because I like crime movies. Like that was, yeah. <laughs> that was basically the, the, uh, the impetus know. for that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, there is this American serial killer, um, named Paul John Knowles. Ooh. And he's a very different type of serial killer in that he wasn't this guy who like went out and stalked his victims, kidnapped them, put them in like a hole in his basement or something like that. He killed out of desperation of like escape he escaped from prison and then was basically on the run for i think like a month or so i can't remember exactly the details of it but was on the run and wound up basically becoming a spree killer because he would like you know hijack a car and kill the owner of the car he'd break into a house for food and kill the owners of the house so let's give a little bit of content just real quick i mean not that we want to make this about Paul John Knowles or serial yeah, yeah. killers, but just to give a little bit of context, because this is all new to me. So the, this American, like you said, it, he killed between 20 and 35 people. So, mm-hmm. wow. Um, yeah. But it looks like he lived from 46 to 74. Uh, was killed in a shootout, t- too. At the, yeah. Killed in a shootout. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So so this is something. So that, that like, was, yeah. So that yeah. story really, like, I just thought that was really interesting because it was such a, a different type of like you know he's classified as a serial killer but like you know you think of a, st- a typical standard serial killer and he doesn't really you think fit like that ted bill. bundy or like some yeah, kind of yeah, exactly sex you think of thing, someone yeah. who's yeah sex crimes or or again even just like the kidnapping that that it takes place over like years and yeah. years and it's it's planned and orchestrated whereas his killings often were very much circumstance oh. like they were just like he was again like fleeing from the police not that that makes you know that's not of not course excusing of course. it at all but i just mean that it's a, it's an interesting it's um, it's different than your average it's very yeah. different yeah and so i i this was before i think i'd ever seen memories of murder that i really liked that story and so i started like toying mm-hmm. around with this screenplay and trying to get it like really authentic and like did a lot of reading on the accuracy and, and wanted it to be you know i think i had seen zodiac at that point so i was kind of looking at zodiac and being like how can i um, you know, really take that story. And in fact, the movie that I made for the Werner Herzog masterclass was like a, almost like a, uh, how, how can I put it? Like a, a proof of concept for that story. Right. Um, yeah. like a teaser, so, if you will. Yeah. Like it was like very much using the tone and stuff that I wanted to go for with the, the feature that I had been kind of working on. And then I saw memories of murder and it really like opened up all this stuff for me, which was that like I was like, I don't have to be accurate at all. So I threw out all the accuracy and just right. took the the inspiration from this this story about this thing and just was like, okay, I'm just gonna make a story about this man who is like a spree killer in this small town and these like incompetent police. Not only can they not find him because he's just kind of like random and and, and nuts, but also they can't find him because you know they start out just not really taking anything seriously and and very much like this movie and so it was very much to me almost like a western adaptation of memories of murder yeah um and so that was the first feature i ever wrote um nice and again very very heavily inspired by memories of murder both in tone as well like there's a lot of you know i included a lot of that kind of comedic elements that aren't again straight up like jokes being told or or you know just that right. like actual comedy but rather just kind of a satire tonal comedy yeah, yeah. Uh, satire very much yeah um so i just that's kind of another connection that i have with this movie that it, that i think is really okay. interesting that that uh 
yeah, it kind of inspired so, the first feature I wrote. Um, wow. So yeah, I mean, so this film means a lot to you. I mean, if it's inspired your first feature, that's that's a big, yeah. I would call that a big Now, not deal. the feature that I'm making right now, because the feature that I wrote would have, you know, yeah. costed a lot more money. But um, <laughs> well, but yeah, it was hey, the first one maybe, that I'd ever written. Uh, maybe you'll finished. be able to maybe you'll be able to produce that one here at, at some point though. yeah <laughs> well let's talk i mean let's talk yeah. a little bit more about that let's talk about some of the themes um yes. you yeah. know and and kind of the satirical nature um some of the themes that we saw at least in the film i mean one of yeah. the things first and foremost i mean it's it seems so prominent in the film it, are the the way that the police are um are shown here and mm-hmm. you've got a combination of total incompetence to the point where, I mean, like you said, it's just, it's like ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's laughable. These police are so There's no like moments of, of like, you know, investigating a crime scene and like finding a clue. It's all Not just, they like, they're well. just like, I know who this is. And they pull them into an interrogation <laughs> yeah, yeah. room and just beat them. And then just, yeah. and it's, and it's so clear. I mean, it's, it's almost always very clear to the audience that, you know, the person that they're interrogating and beating so not only are they incompetent but they're they're brutal and operating above the law and uh illegally i i would hope and i I think that's part of what this film is kind of trying to speak to uh and show and i think in the in the 80s i mean police brutality is is a problem probably everywhere there are police to some degree around the world but i think especially at this time period in korea um Mm -hmm. it was especially uh, an issue so I think that's part of what the film is trying to show. But yeah, and I, mean, I think so- a big reason for that too is the the fact that at the time of this film's making, and actually when I had first seen it, um, pre twenty nineteen, the killer had never been caught. Yeah, um, that the and so I think a lot of that was this kind of cultural outrage at the 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 again the real incompetence of the police there for not catching this guy who had killed ten people over the course yeah. of you know. I think it was like seven years that the murders took place. And so there's this real outrage, I think, with society of just this inability to catch this guy. And that I think that a lot of that is fueling a lot of the satirizations of the police yeah. in this. Um, and of course, as I said, in 2019, they actually, the killer actually confessed. He was already in prison for murdering his wife and um, wound up confessing to the rest of these murders. So yeah, that was what was very interesting, again, was that I had first seen it and never... Well, in the ending, that has a big deal. That has that has a, uh, and we can when we get to it, we can kind of talk about it. But yeah, I mean, that has the fact that the killer had not yet been found Mm -hmm. um, is is very very integral to the way this film ends. Yeah, which which is a pretty pretty amazing ending, frankly. And and again, another very similar thing to Zodiac as well. Yeah, um, in in the way that this film ends and that film ends kind of with like a question rather than. But we'll get into yeah, like you said, kind of the ending. um, So that's. So definitely the police incompetence, brutality, and each each kind of officer has, and I think we talked a little bit yeah, about this, has has their own kind of, you know, uh, total incompetence when it comes yes. to police work or, you know, kind of their, their one trait. Like we've got yeah. uh, one detective who thinks that he can just tell if somebody is a criminal by Read looking their at faces. their face. Yeah, and of yeah. course the film, I mean, the film shows us instantly how, he can't. No. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like one of the first things we see in the film. So it's like, okay, this guy is so convinced that he's got these shaman eyes and he can just look at somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got another detective like we talked about who just uses physical violence. He's got this... Um, this like slip cover that he puts over his boots so that yeah, so you know he can stomp somebody, so he yeah. can stomp people but not but but not show any like you know outward yeah, not leave physical, scratches no yeah. not leave scratches right i mean your spleen may be squashed but you know you won't yeah. have a scratch on you and then we've got another officer who comes in from the city who's like by the book you know and yeah. and he's just convinced that uh if you just follow the rules if you follow the the line by line item you know procedure to a t that that's going to get you where you need to be and of course the film uh ends with you know this character you know that that that's not the case that you Mm -hmm. know um and you you talk a little bit about we can talk about it about limits of technology in the 80s and how that's a little bit of part of the story too yeah yeah and it's like this kind of almost country versus city life even again goes back to the we think of like Korea now, and it's very much a you know industrialized, industrialized but you know, it wasn't then on, yeah. on par with with any other um, you know industrialized nation. Whereas, but yeah, but back then it was very much still kind of coming out of this this you know tar- tough economy, um, you know, really cracked down on the you know government sides, and um, again they had to like there's a whole kind of B plot in this movie about having to ship evidence to the U.S. to get it. Uh, basically 
processed because they yeah, don't they have can't the technology. Do DNA. Right. Yeah. So they have to ship it to the FBI. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of almost like motif of that, of like, just like the, or, or even just the, not only the technological incompetence, but just the incompetence of like how slow it all is where they'll, you know, there's a, there's another element of the movie where they're trying to get, um, postcards from a radio station and that there's just like it, it, what's really, again, interesting about this movie to me is that there's just like every single person in it is incompetent with the mm -hmm. exception of like very few characters and that the, those few characters who aren't incompetent, one of them being the police woman. Um, who actually has the idea of, of tracking down this postcard, which leads them to kind of their prime suspect, um, she's ignored. So it's like the incompetence right. further takes that person and just puts them in the background. Right. Um, so, but you know, you have this idea that, yeah, they'll call the radio station, try to get these postcards because the person who submitted the postcards will submit a postcard every well, time there's a murder. And then, the, but the people at the radio station threw out the postcards and don't remember Well, it's interesting and, to me yeah. too, you know, I, I, and I really like the way this film handles this, that they're, you know, we see a lot of the ways that these police officers and the department in general and authority, it's kind of, they all represent authority, are mm -hmm. ineffectual, um, either because they're lazy uh, or they're or they're just full on incompetent or they're mm -hmm. you know, they they're full of ego and think that they are great when they're not. But they also do something that's a little more subtle. But um, but it just permeates the whole film, which is that they completely and totally get causal relationships confused. It's like I mean, it's you know, they they think just because it rained whenever a couple of the victims were killed yeah. that. OK, uh, so that must be absolutely vital. And, you know, the killer will only kill when it rains or, yeah, OK, yeah. you know, the victim was wearing red. OK, well, we, we can only worry about a woman who's wearing red or yeah. this. Which, song of course, we was, find out all these things aren't true. Are false. But, that, yeah. Right. Uh, OK, a certain song was played on the radio. So whoever called up and requested that song, you know, that's got to be the killer. And it's like, you know, they're just these casual relationship errors just over and over and over. Mm -hmm. I find I, I found to be actually pretty amusing. You know, it's 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 um, it's just it's such a highlighted feature of this of the way the story is told in yes. this film. And yeah. I'm not quite. I don't know if if necessary. I think some of these things, or maybe all of them. I'm not sure. You might know a little bit more. Were actually mistakes that took place by the authorities in real life on this case. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but but certainly effective and something that I really caught my attention and I thought was like actually quite uh, quite keen in the film. Yeah, no, and I, I think that it's, it's again, whether or not it's true is, is like, it's ultimately irrelevant. It's very much a great example of how to tell a true story. But, well, actually, you know, to bring it back to Herzog, it's very much an example of truth versus fact. Accountant which is truth that versus, it, yeah. Yeah, which is that if there was, you know, I'm sure that if this movie were like a, a like, you know, factual retelling of the events, it would be much less interesting and probably much less engaging and, you know, that it would also probably have much less impact in showing what sure. the actual truth is, the emotional truth or the, the, um, the I aesthetic guess, truth. Yeah, yeah. The aesthetic truth. And so, so I think that that's a, you know, I think that Bong Joon-ho is really brilliant at bringing what matters forward. And it's like, you know, okay, so maybe the police didn't really go to the radio and think that this was a thing, but it, is a really, really excellent example of this, this like chasing down a, a dead end to, yeah. to the point that it, you know, you almost wind up killing somebody over it. Um, and I think that that's such a, you know, a, a really great sign of his direction. And, and, you know, other things about his direction too, that I, I think are just kind of remarkable are the way that he will block and set up a scene. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And just let a scene play out. And and I think the important distinction between Bong Joon-ho and a lot of other directors who kind of do similar things is that Bong Joon-ho is not a director who, like, will, you know, tell his actors to improvise. You know, this isn't a guy that's, again, like, fly on the wall where he'll just set up a camera and be like, okay, play out the scene and, mm. and do things. No, no he is <laughs> very specific in the way that he says, you know, like, if you watch the, the making of this film, he will literally act out the scene himself with oh, wow. the actors and, so and do the lines and then sort of say, try it like that. Oh, wow. Which Can is really interesting. And then so, so yeah. it's not, yeah, it's not. I want to um, pause on that for a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to take us like too far down, you know, no, a sure. little, uh, but, but okay. So unfortunately, <laughs> so everybody out there, I just realized uh, today, right before we started recording that although I've had the Criterion Collection of this film for a while now, mm -hmm. I did not realize 
<laughs> that there were two discs. So <laughs> I unfortunately have not yet seen this making of documentary that Cullen's referring to. I'm going to. I'll watch it after the podcast here. But I haven't seen it. But this is interesting. So this is news mm-hmm. to me. So you're saying that, uh, in effect, um, that uh, Bong will actually give line readings. That's what we would yeah, call Yeah, and not in necessarily States. in a way of like... Um, like if you've seen Hail Caesar when it's like the wood that it wears, so it's simple. Kind of thing. Like not like that. Like <laughs> it's not like he's like, scene. He's, but rather what he'll do is because he's got such a, such a specific and, you know, articulate and accurate way that he wants the scene to be played out. Uh-huh. He'll just show that to the actor and then sort of say like, okay, now bring your own thing to it. And so I think that that's a really neat way of directing. And, hmm. you know, because, because again, his, so a lot of the scenes, again, in case you haven't seen um, this or any of his other work, he very often will just set the camera down, have an incredibly well blocked image, almost like a tableau of our mm-hmm. characters, where it's like they're they're positioned in a way that wouldn't really necessarily make sense in real life, but makes perfect sense and really great visual sense for the movie, right. and just play out the scene in a in a wonder. And what's amazing about it to me is that it's not it's not necessarily a show off kind of thing. It's more so to let the actors like. So many directors will, you know, they want to have, they'll start on a master and then they'll cut into a close-up of one actor and then there'll be shot reverse shot of her conversation and then they'll cut right. back to the master. And then, But what that does, at least for a lot of both actors and I think for the audience, is that it divides up a scene and makes it seem so orchestrated. Whereas what Bong Joon-ho does, and I think, again, is, is like an incredible, um, you know, show of his talent, is that he'll just let the scene play out in a wonder. And, and so, again, it's not about letting the actors improvise and, like, come up with stuff on the spot and have them, like, jump out of their chair if they want to. It's but well rather planned. it's just about them almost like like theater, and, and which makes sense because a lot of these actors were theater actors. Yeah. But but letting them play out the scene so that it just it just sits, like that you just experience the scene as though you're there, as though you're, you're, you're with yeah. them. Um, well, I definitely Showing that. explicitly, you know, what people need to be looking at or, like... Yeah, it's really right. interesting. Something, yeah. So definitely stood out to me as well. Uh, I and I really appreciate that. And you're right. It's they're not, um, you know, boogie nights or or Goodfellas oneers. They're not, you know, um, generally these really flamboyant. I would call them kind no, of like flamboyant. No. They're actually, for the most part, fairly seamless. Um, but you do you've got these wonderful scenes, whether it's you know the detectives at a table uh, drinking at a hostess bar or. Um, there's there's actually quite a few scenes here where we let he just lets the conversation unfold mm-hmm. and and the camera's kind of taking it all in some of these shots the camera is quite wide and there's no recomposition kind of necessary for example mm-hmm. when the the detective from Seoul comes in and they're kind of introducing each other and it's the first time we see all the detectives uh, in one scene or in one location and kind of the awkwardness and kind of confusion and kind of, you know, they're feeling each other out and don't know who, who each other, you know. So, you know, there... We in the scene have... when he gives um, Noshik Park, who is the kind of like the, the kid that's got kind of the facial scarring, there's the that moment yeah, when he the... gives him the shoes in the restaurant that his father owns. And the, it's like the that scene nighties. too is just this like, it's like a three and a half minute scene. Just wide. Just sits on a just wide sits. lens just with this... Like yeah. theater. It's yeah. like you said, just like theater. And and I pre- but then you've got also you've also got scenes where he does move the camera, he does recompose, we there's do clo- refocus. There's some amazing close ups in this movie. And and it works so well. So And I think I, that that's the thing though, is that that I think it's like sort of like a you know, of course that's the effect of, of it's the same thing with sound, which is that like, you know, you when you want if you want loud things to sound loud, then you make everything else quiet. And right. in this movie I think that that's you why the close ups in this movie have such intimacy and such intent. And mm-hmm. that they're so, you know, the close-ups have such a punch to them is because so much of the movie is played in these wide, really long, Tableau, um, yeah. tableau-like kind of theater-like settings and scenarios that once you get this punch in on these actors' faces, it's like, wow. geez, like you really feel their performance and you really feel the like emotion of those moments. Yeah, and there's not a lot, and just to, to cut, and, and at least I'm not remembering as such, but, you know, not only is he's very sparse in particular and specific with his usage of close-ups, but we also don't have a lot of, like, inserty stuff in this film. No, and, not you know, at all. And yeah. it basically, I mean, an insert is just a close-up or extreme close-up of something other than a person's face, right? Yeah. I mean, in, in just the, the most fundamental kind of way. Uh, and, 
you know, a lot of times in a procedural or a supposed police procedural or kind of crime thriller like this, you've always got, right, because there's always so much detective work going on. Yeah, and so, so when there's a lot have, of detective yeah. work going on, you've always got a lot of inserts of, you know, and there's not a whole lot of that here. No. So when, when the camera punches in on something, it really, really, really stands out. And there's, out. there's moments, like a lot of moments actually, where the actors are looking directly down the barrel where and again not not, i wouldn't say a lot as in like it happens frequently but a lot of the close-ups which Mm -hmm. are few and far between the directors or the the directors the the actors are literally staring right down the barrel so which just again increases this which is such a difficult thing to pull off well yeah because if you just get that wrong performance wise then it comes off as that person's total fourth wall breaking it's totally exactly but but when you do it well like is done in this movie i think it 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 again brings this weight to a shot that is otherwise kind of impossible to reach and mm. and he does this so brilliantly and it's it's only i think there's only like three or four shots in the movie that i can think of where the where they're looking directly down the barrel um primarily it is um song kang ho yeah who who looks who's got such a perfect face for it too like he's got yeah. such a well um you know, just a just a, a forgiving, but Ex- also expressive, expressive. Yeah, exactly. But not too over the top. Like it's not like he's like you know doing something weird with his face. He just has like a really <laughs> great stare. Yeah, um, yeah. And so yeah, I think that that again it, to to come out of this movie being his second movie is always kind of remarkable to me. That that and he was young, didn't you? I think yeah, he's I think his early thirties. I think he yeah. was he was born in nineteen sixty nine, and this would have been made in like two thousand two, two thousand three. So um, it, yeah, thirty. 33 ish. I always feel there's a part of me that, you know, of course I'm impressed and, and yay, good for you. And of course, you know, the world is a better place for having wonderful filmmakers in it. So absolutely. Uh, I'm full of joy. Uh, I wish every film were, were, you know, were, were wonderful and every filmmaker were fantastic, but Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, there's this little part of me though, where it's like, wow, to be that good at that young <laughs> of an age i'm jealous we can dream <laughs> we can dream it's like um, i can never go back to that age but you know uh i'm well past that age now but but maybe there's still hope for me maybe i mean there I, are plenty know. of directors too who are quite famous who didn't start directing till they were like in their late 50s so there you well there's uh, that there too. you go there's hope there's hope for yeah. me every so, uh what's the what's the what's the little um i can't even remember what the quote is but it's something about every I, every every rose has, has its, its thorn yeah or whatever <laughs> Yeah, I'm we'll like, make what something. What does that up. have to do with this? <laughs> I didn't know that um, you were a poison fan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and the other thing that again, I, I also really do want to kind of get into uh, yeah. a little bit more in detail, which is something that I, I just mentioned kind of briefly earlier, is just that that style that he works with the actors in, in terms of showing. Mm. And I do really for people who like maybe listen to this podcast who aren't directors um, or who haven't worked on films or aren't actors or something like that. Um, it's usually kind of a taboo to show an actor specifically. Well, what that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is, and it's like, it's kind of one of those things that like, especially actors don't like it, but I think the way that he approaches it, and again, it's, it's difficult to describe because he's got such like a subtle way of doing it. Mm. Um, but all the actors in this film, when they're, when they're interviewed about it, really appreciate it. Cause they're not, they kind of put it in this way. That's like, he's not showing us in a way that's like, I want this and don't deviate from it. He's showing it in a way that's like, this is my vision. This is what I thought of when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that's just what I thought of. And so let's do it and let's see how you do it. And it's like this really interesting style of like remaining open, but also being really, really clear in what you want, because I think it's really important. Like when I, you know, personally write something I have, yeah, I've got my blocking in mind from the moment that I'm writing out a screenplay. I've got my blocking, I've got the focal length of the lens, I've got how I want it lit, all in my head. And so I'm very particular like that. Um, But like for me, you know, again, for even just the movie that I'm working on right now, the feedback isn't like, you know, if if an actor says a line in the way that I'm, you know, that I wasn't thinking it should be said or that I don't think works, I'm not going to be like, no, no, hang on, hang on. Say it again, like that would that it were to, it was too simple, or <laughs> would that it were so simple bit from yeah. Hail Caesar. Yeah, it's more so like an example would be that the the lead actor and the one one of the co leads in the film is that I'm making is is uh, they performed this role in our first reading very friendly and very like outwardly almost like warm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so rather than taking an individual line by line thing and sort of going like no 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 say that more like that, I just kind of said like pull back that warmth like really like t- 
take that away, like cut out the warmth and be a right. lot more direct. Like you're they, like, you're everything is a transaction to you and everything's, a tra everything's transactional. And so, and that's kind of what I see in well, Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just that, efficient direction. I mean, yeah, that doesn't exactly, sound like exactly. he's giving line read, you know, when, when you describe it that way, you know, when you, when you first brought it up, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, but he know. does, but I mean, that's what he literally will go through a scene. And, and, do, and read the and do the lines like well, he will act out the scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're certainly right. Uh, in my yeah. experience, as, as you know, on both sides of the camera, uh, it's it's something that I actually really have worked hard not to do. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, to not ever. I don't ever want to put the words that you know the actual words uh, in the script in the in in the mouth of my actor, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to just hand it to him. So. But I don't know, you know, that's interesting. I mean, I'll have to watch that making of and kind of check that out. It's, you know, every, obviously for every director out there, there's a different way of working. Everybody's got their own kind of certain thing and certainly different actors respond to different types of direction. Uh, it, that's and I really think that interesting. What's, what's really, in, what I think is so unique about it and what I think, the reason that I think it works so well is that when I, again, when I first saw this movie, I also hadn't really seen a lot of South Korean cinema. Mm -hmm. And so I was sitting there thinking like, is this just like, is this, is this just like this, like this tone, is this just a really popular tone in South Korean cinema that like the right. actors kind of play things. And then when I watched this behind the scenes, and as, as I of course have seen more, you know, yeah. films from South Korea and realized that that wasn't necessarily the case. What I realized was that it is this, like, the reason that every performance, every actor is giving this, like, specific type of performance that's not necessarily, like, what you would naturally read it as if you were to read the screenplay of this film. And mm -hmm. I think the reason that is and why they all, like, mend so well together and they've all got this really direct vision is because of the way that Bong does that. And he, he almost treats the actors the same way that he would treat the visuals, which is that he has a very specific artistic vision on the way that he wants these things, you know, delivered. And again, not in a restrictive way, but rather just in the way that he's like, I want to take this tone and I want the tone to maintain both through the visuals and through the storytelling and through the performance. performances. Yeah. And so he, he, he gets every single actor in his film to approach the role in a really similar way in this in this way that's like heighten it and like add a little bit of comedy in there and and really make everything exaggerated and almost again slapstick and there's so many like moments where someone's just like slapped in the back of the head for <laughs> saying know. the wrong thing or something so <laughs> I, and I think a lot of that again which was when I first saw this movie I was like is this just like this really neat way that 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 you know South Korea has adopted filmmaking or is this but no it's not it's it's actually just bong joon ho's style of direction that he you know and it's a lot more if you've only seen parasite and haven't seen um memories of murder or haven't seen any of his other movies you might you know sort of see that in parasite but it's it's a lot more subdued in parasite mm -hmm. i think um it's this movie is a lot more exaggerated in, in the way that like parasite is I think played a little bit more straight and it's played mm -hmm. a little bit more real. Whereas this movie is not like the, the way that people act in this movie is not grounded. It's not, you know, it's not like a, a, you know, I highly doubt that the real detectives in this movie were, or in that, that, that the film is based off of. Boy, let's were, hope not. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's heightened, right. Mm -hmm. And exaggerated a bit and, and compressed. So, maybe maybe uh, over the course of years you know little pieces of this behavior might have actually occurred but the story is so compressed that you just have you know ridiculousness 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 kind of just stacked on top right one right after the other in the same way that the murders are stacked up and compressed in this story of course in real life these things i think took place over a much longer period of time yes yeah. so um so it kind of heightens that but um yeah, the film, I mean, the film appears to take place over about a year, and the real murders took place about six or seven years, I think. Yeah, so It was quite like 86 impressed. to 91 or 92, and the, the movie doesn't, you know, there's only two title cards for date in the film, Yeah, one of which is at the very beginning, and then one of which is at the very end, and, but the ending is very clearly supposed to be like a, a decade, if not more, after Right. Well, he takes place. we have. I mean, um, it goes to two thousand. Yeah. So King Ho is not even a detective anymore. Yeah. 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 He's a salesman. He's selling juicers now, and yeah. which is interesting. And this is just. I want to kind of speak a little bit to this. Uh, in one of the commentary tracks, this was pointed out to me, and it's an example of how you know the, the subtleties and nuance can be lost if you don't have a deep enough kind of cultural historic understanding. So you know, in the final scene 
uh, or near it where we've got the detective he's in the in a van and it's filled with boxes of juicers mm-hmm. and it's clear that he's you know now he's like with his family he's actually now married the woman that i think was a prostitute in the beginning she was sort of like a or like a, a kind, nurse that was kind, kind of, of like a kind of i guess yeah. slept with her Per page. She was like a it's, she was like a in home nurse that would yeah. So even that, even that's a little bit hard to know, right? Because yeah, where that yeah. I mean, so maybe it'd be very clear, you know, maybe there's just some cultural differences with kind of prostitution and, and how that might look. Um but by the but at the end of the film it's clear that he's a salesperson. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Oh, okay, well he's just no longer a detective, he's a salesman. Okay, great. But but the huge difference here is that in that country so much had changed economically that there mm-hmm. was even a market for juicers that yes. that was even yeah. a thing it's such and, a it's such a stark contrast from going from yeah like this like farming everyone sort of looks poor and, and kind of miserable yeah. and everything again is desaturated be- bleach bypass to which we'll get into when we get into cinematography in a moment but um but that then it goes to yeah exactly it's it really does a good job that ending which is only like 10 minutes yeah of showing the change in the country and um but at the same time that it, like nothing's really changed because of course the which i think i genuinely think the final scene in this movie is one of the best endings to a movie ever it's wonderful um, it really and, is yeah um, you know for context again we of course aren't really careful with spoilers in this movie because hopefully either people have seen them or don't care about spoilers but right um but just for context yeah the movie ends 10 years or ten, more probably more like 15 years after the events of the film take place in 2003 so it's set contemporarily when the movie was made um and the main detective who we've kind of followed through the movie is now yeah he's like a traveling salesman for these juicers He's talking on his cell phone. He's got kids who like his kid plays. He's and the very, house, like, the, the yeah, house like a is nice large, house. Yeah, nice. It's and his a son more plays. Western. It's a more yeah, Western a lot more. Style. Yes, just yep. definitely. Well, which is a very big thing in, in South Korea, especially that there's like a lot of American influence in South Korea. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, so like life is like you know, for lack of a better term, good prosperity. Yeah. Um. And then, but of course, he comes across. As he's driving, it comes across, and I don't want to go into detail about this because, of course, we're not recounting the film in, in this podcast. But <laughs> that's okay. I did but that. But he for comes, the yeah, he, he 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 comes across the first um, uh, sight of the victim. Yeah, the yeah. site that where they found the first body yeah. in the in the where the film starts, and it's just this like brilliant, melancholic. Um, you know, he has this conversation with this little girl who says like, "Yeah, there was a guy here the other day who's implied to be the killer." Yep. It's, you know, implying that he's still just kind of out there walking around. He was, she yep. was like, yeah, he was just here the other day and I talked to him for a bit and he said that he like had done something here a long time ago. And and then the film ends with, with you know, the main detective just looking directly at the camera with this face of like sorrow. Well, and, and, and yeah. with this, with his like shaman eyes, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. also kind of, and, and another part of it too is that he asks this young girl to, and again, yeah, we, we don't want to just recount the movie mm-hmm. here, but, but since we're talking about the ending and we've kind of, uh, stated that we think it's really an extraordinary ending. I think it's fair enough. We can describe it a bit. Yeah. But yeah, and he kind of, you know, he asked this young girl, you know, can you describe this person? Can you describe this person? And she's just like, he's ordinary. He was just ordinary. Nothing stood yeah. out. And so it's, so in a way, it's almost kind of also a little bit of the like, the killer is all of us, especially when you. Well, and that's it. actually a theme that goes throughout the whole movie too. Is that this yeah. that because there's such a lack of caring, not only from the police but seemingly from the public, that like they're, like the life does not again when you've watched something like Zodiac, which is a very accurate retelling of of the you know the case of the Zodiac killer and, and mm-hmm. Dave Tosky and stuff like that, um, that you've got this whole like this cultural mayhem of and which is very common in, in you know the US and Canada and even you know Britain and stuff like that where when there was a serial killer it was like especially a prolific serial killer it's like big news and people lock yeah, their yeah. doors and it's like the kids no longer yeah. go out Town but this crazy. whole difference in South Korea because of course this was their, not only their first uh, serial killer but it's like this small town where it's just like well I'm not going to stop going to work at my factory because I've got no money Right. I'm not going to stop sending my kids to like to walk to school because I can't walk them to school because I don't have a car. I've got to go walk, you know, get to my job. So there's this whole like indictment of of the like lack of of care from from just the general population of that like you know. And I, I Guillermo del Toro actually has this short. I think it's like a six minute little commentary just about his you know 
take on the movie. And mm-hmm. one of the things that he says that's really interesting is just, yeah, this idea that um, the movie really does point the lens at exactly at the audience and sort of say, like, you know, were you, and especially, I'm sure this would have been especially pertinent in South Korea, um, which before is Before like, the killer you know, was found. Yeah, before the killer was found. I mean, he literally like, could have, seen literally well, could have been looking at the killer. Yeah, yeah. From from their point of view, I think he was arrested in ninety two. But I mean, nobody so. knew but, that. But but nobody knew that exactly. Yeah. And so there's this idea that um, yeah, like it's like it's I I just again it's such a mesmerizing mesmerizing ending to end on this shot of and I again for that first feature I ever wrote ended it the exact same way. Like I actually, <laughs> it's probably the only scene that I like really pulled. Almost, hey, why reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah, you, and it you, was you like, know, it was this it like where the the, the main character in that movie i wrote winds up at the first sign of the or the side good of the first artist crime and then steal. looks exactly at the yeah yeah it was just you know it's it's i'll just say it's a homage but um Perfect. but no this this movie you know just ends in such a really kind of a gut punch and and the score comes in and it's a really great i love the score for this movie which is by um i hope i don't pr- mispronounce this but taro I, uh, iwashiru who is a japanese got, composer yeah. yep um but let's you know, I guess we can like almost to sort of as we we get into the wrap up. Let's just talk a little bit about the cinematography. Absolutely. Um, I so this movie yeah. is shot on a lot of wides, um, which yep. I like. Of course, it's um, film. Yeah, it's shot obviously on film. thirty-five millimeter film. You're right. I think shot on a lot of wides. And yeah, and so the bookended scenes that take place in that like beautiful rice field are very saturated, blue skies, sunny, right. and the rest a lot of the of color. Film, bleach bypass um for the this, like the really film. low satch kind of uh yeah. look to it mostly night or cloudy rain yep. um and i also think what's really interesting is so i saw the first time i saw this movie i saw the um version of it that had no like the criterion looks very different than other dvd and blu-ray releases and it's it's being approved and was worked on by Bong Joon-ho himself so we can we can rest assume, assure that it was yeah. the director's vision that went into the criterion right um but what I don't actually know is were the film prints more similar to the old you know was it just a lack of availability of like good color software well let's the describe time? the difference a little bit yeah and, yeah and so just I mean, the, more detail yeah I mean so the the bulk of the film the where mm-hmm. we're in the 80s and the investigations taking place where the all the action takes place is, you know, and this is the only version I've seen, so I'll kind of describe as it exists in the Criterion Collection. But yeah, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, it's it's bleach bypass. It's very desaturated, very much muted colors. You've got almost an underexposed feel to everything. It's it's um, quite dark, a lot of blacks, a lot of yeah. deep blacks. Especially even the like highlights are quite muted. Everything, and, and there's even, and there's kind of a green-ish uh maybe not as far as matrix but close ish actually so quite a bit of like green tint over everything mm-hmm. um and, and it, it's very noticeable uh it's i mean it's very much in your face this is not slight what i'm describing and but cullen what you pointed out is that when you had seen this on uh whether it was maybe dvd or another blu-ray release all this is missing it's, yes, all of this is missing, and I've seen some examples online now that you shared with me, and it's like shocking how different the other releases. Yeah, I mean, they must have had no input from the director. I don't know what. They well, were I mean, doing. again, because but and, either that or what's interesting too is that the again because color grading software and color correction software has come so far in just in the past decade. So there's the, also the chance that when this film, you know, when it came out, would have been finalized on film. Um, it would have been finalized, you know, just with very basic digital color correction but but primarily it would have been you know you you just couldn't push things as far technology wasn't really capable of of doing these like really extreme color grades then um and I so what the film so, with the, so with i'm the curious just... to know what the theatrical presentation looked like because right, the, the, the version that i watched definitely had the beach bleach, yeah, bleach bypass um but it's just less you know yeah. less desaturated it looks a right. little bit more um i would say like saving private ryan where it's just kind of like Still looks pretty natural, but is but just still a, a lot bit of color down. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I wonder if this was one of those cases where it's like they, you know, released the movie back then and it looked like that, and then when they found you know, the availability to do a remaster He's with like, oh, modern color, co- you know, color correction I'll push software, it further. yeah, that they that he was like, this is actually where I wanted it to look and right. how I wanted it to kind of go, um, or was it that the 
prints, the actual film prints, look like the Criterion version and that those DVD and Blu-ray releases just, you know, boosted the saturation for home releases or something. Yeah. Hard to know. I mean, I'd love to see a print of this movie on actually screened. Um, And so hopefully I'll one day have that opportunity. But um, but no, it's, it's interesting to me that how stark you know i sent you the pictures of of like the differences right. and you were kind of blown away by how yeah how it's substantial it's night and day yeah um and but you know just to kind of summarize really briefly without getting too technical about it the the version that i had seen before this you know i've, I've seen this movie a few times probably five or so times and um you know over the course of a few years they are they again you've got that bleach bypass you've got that desaturation but everything's kind of natural you know everything mm-hmm. looks very much like you know the greens are greens the blues are blues right. the skin tones are skin tones reds are reds whereas everything in the criterion especially you know in the moments that are the darker moments that are kind of the mid sections of the film much more shifted towards the greens like everything yeah. is just kind of hued green the saturation is brought back even further like beyond just a simple bleach bypass um so it's it's very and it's interesting. I saw someone almost compare it to the look of the Matrix. What's yeah, interesting what about just, that yeah. is that the Matrix look, that green green look of the Matrix, was actually not supervised by the cinematographer or the director. If you saw the Matrix in theaters and then you watch the Matrix on 4K now, the HDR 4K, which was actually supervised by the cinematographer. Um, it's not supposed to it's be so green. It's not supposed to be so green. And so I think I it's funny that everyone that thinks of that as the Matrix look when initially much the Matrix wasn't supposed bluer, to be so... Yeah, it's it? much, it, much bluer. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. I mean, I, not, we don't want to make this about the Matrix, but this yeah, is, it's yeah. all related and kind of interesting. I mean, so I did watch the Matrix in the theater. Of course, I did this in... I don't. When did this come out? Like 90s. 99. 99. Yeah. So I did see it in the theater. I saw it 22 years ago. I couldn't remember for the life of me um you know what it looked like in the theater uh but but i definitely i mean i've got these blu-rays and i'm sure i've Mm -hmm. seen it several times since and everybody just associates green and matrix i mean you know obviously green does actually play an important role the green is computers and stuff great yeah and it's the color of the code i mean if you look up like matrix how to get the matrix look on youtube you'll get a tutorial that just is like (laughs) basically but 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 a huge part of that it sounds like was actually not the wachowski's vision yeah or bill pope the or bill pope yeah but but it was actually so do you know what happened i think it was likely just to get i i don't know if you remember was but when blu-ray started coming out yeah bye-bye were like there was a whole bunch of these they did it to jurassic park they did it to <sighs> the Ma- like a, the matrix where they were i think to like make the blu-ray look so much better they would push the colors in like really weird directions so that when you wow. had the side by side it was like this is what the movie looks like on Blu-ray and it's all green and cool and like, you know, versus the DVD, which was kind of flatter and, and of course, way less resolution. Right. Um, and so I think that that was just like a marketing gimmick of early Blu-rays. And because because what you notice is so then you go to the Jurassic Park Blu-ray release, I think from like 2012, and it looks like it's it's graded like in this orange and teal modern look, which is like really ugly. And you wasn't until I think later on that they released uh, the Jurassic Park Blu-ray without any of the color grades. So I think it was just kind of a marketing gimmick on Blu-ray's behalf, or at least on these studios when they were releasing their movies, like kind of re-releasing on Blu-ray to be like, look at how different this looks. And I think a lot of that also is because I don't think, you know, Blu-ray started coming out around 2005. Right. Not a lot of people had HDTVs then. Right. So I think that to push it beyond, like even if you put a Blu-ray on an HDTV or a non-HDTV, it's just going to look the same as a DVD basically resolution-wise. Right. So I think a lot of this was just kind of trying to get people who were, you know, who still had standard def TVs to get them a reason to buy Blu-rays. And it was just like, look at how cool the color looks. The first discs always stink, right? Yeah. So, you know, when DVDs first came out, well, we uh, had that conversation with Butch Cassidy. Like we the, had it, the right. transfer on that is like really Transfers not great. Transfers are horrible. And you've yeah. got just the technology. I mean, they didn't even have like anamorphic widescreen on the first DVDs. Yeah. You've got, I mean, it. All full you, screen. Yeah. All, right. And we've got, uh, and the same with, with Blu-rays, you know, the first six that came mm-hmm. out, they were overly compressed. They, you know, and, and as the media kind of grows and finds its legs, you'll get better and better 
transfers, you get better mastering, you get better data rates, compression rates, et cetera, et cetera, better color match. So that's interesting. So, so yeah, I do. I just think that, you know, not again, not to go on about the matrix, but I do think it's interesting (laughs) that there's kind of a relation here, which is that, you know, the look that everyone kind of talks about as the matrix look, matrix look, that green look wasn't the intended look. It's not intended. Whereas in, you know, this case, that was, and again, it might have been the case where again it was just a technological limitation at the time that they couldn't push it to this degree and then now that you know in the past 10 years again there have been such leaps and bounds made in post-production software that that suddenly bong was like okay this is actually finally we're able to push he this pulled a the lucas. direction that i want to yeah he pulled well, a lucas, yeah, you know potentially the, i mean in the, the uhd release too, and they, they all every single color pass on the each lord of the rings release is completely different from the previous one yeah you so, know I, I could just imagine a couple years the UHD, the 4K UHD release for this film. Mm-hmm. We're going to have CGI characters. Either we'll CGI have, or it's going to go back to the way it used to look. <laughs> we'll have like Jabba the Hutt will be like a CGI Jabba the Hutt will walk through the background in one of the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you okay, know, just now, to wrap up, the film is very grainy. It's very yeah. low-key lighting, um, lots of fog, lots of rain. and it, uh, Yeah, I think it's a really beautifully shot film, both in terms of like framing and, and the movement of the camera but also just in terms of the color and with or without i mean i always thought the movie looked amazing yeah like even before i'd seen the criterion version with the the new color um, yeah the movie just looks incredible and i mean it, it does it's, it's a testament of the power of film but um it's yeah I, I mean cinematography aside even i think that the movie's great um i think that's a you know a pretty decent place to wrap though i mean unless there's there something go. um more uh, uh, ex- about... only to say only to say that i appreciate you bringing it to my attention i really mm-hmm. enjoyed watching it and kind of studying it over the past couple of days in preparation for this podcast and i've really enjoyed discussing with it uh, with uh, you uh now yeah. here and so uh hopefully it's been somewhat entertaining or informative for the audience out there And uh, I look forward to doing this again with a new film in another week. So until then, everybody, have a good one. We'll see you soon.